Open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then put a marker at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and then put a marker at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Isn't it wonderful to gather together and celebrate the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ? What a wonderful thing that is. It's our hope. It's everything that we have to look forward to is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this passage of Scripture, this clear statement about the mystery of godliness that encompasses everything we believe. Lord, help us as we look at this. And thank You so much for coming and living that sinless life, being born of a virgin, dying on the cross to pay for our sin, but then rising from the dead, proving that You were, are, and always will be God. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Help us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was telling Pastor Nathan yesterday the text that I was preaching, and I told him if a preacher can't preach this text, he needs to go into another line of work. Amen? This is an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. And I want to speak to you today about the mystery of godliness. The mystery of of godliness. Remember, a mystery is something that could not be known unless God had revealed it to us. It's something that's true, something that's been true since before the foundation of the world, but that we couldn't know about it unless God, in His grace, decided to reveal it to us. There are seven of these mysteries, and we're going to look at those tonight. What are the seven mysteries that are identified in Scripture? But this morning, we're going to look at the mystery of godliness. The first thing that the Scripture says about this, look at verse 16 again. It says, without controversy. Without controversy. Now, don't turn there just for time's sake, but Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write, to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You see, for Christians, there are things that if you are a Christian, you must believe in order to be a Christian. It's settled. It's not disputed. You know, there are some things that we might argue about, things like, did Adam have a belly button? That's a profound thought, isn't it? Some of these young people, that's all they'll think about through the rest of the service. Did Adam have a belly button? Look, those kinds of things aren't important. How many angels can fit on, a tip of a, on the tip of a needle? I can give you the answer. All of them. They don't have bodies, you know, unless God gives them a body for a specific purpose. But those are the kinds of things that people might have a controversy about. This verse, the things that are stated in this verse, they are without controversy. Every believer around the world, probably a billion people today, are worshiping and believing and celebrating what's identified in this text without controversy. What are these things that are without controversy? Well, the Bible says this. Look at verse 16 again. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 
What is that mystery? God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Here's the mystery. God became a man. Listen to what uh, John Phillips said about that. I had a chance to preach with John Phillips once. He went home to be with the Lord either last year or the year before. And, man, it was nerve-wracking. to see. When, you, when I read this, you'll see why. Imagine, you know, my stumbling, bumbling self preaching before him. Listen to what he said. God is manifest in flaming suns and burning stars, in changing seasons, in the rainbow's hues, and in the sunset's scarlet rays. He was manifest in the glory of the galaxies and in the pale silver face of the moon. Now He has been manifest in flesh. Deity is robed in humanity. The Son of God has become the Son of Man. Our planet has been invaded from outer space by the glorious Son of the living God, the Creator of the universe, the One whom angels worship, the eternal, uncreated, self-existing second person of the Godhead. The manger in Bethlehem cradled the one who was God, now appearing as a child of Adam's race. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? God was manifest in the flesh, that he was made plain. It was evident that he was God as a man. Now, this is the mystery of godliness. To us, it's without controversy. How many of you here believe that Jesus Christ came as a man? See, this is the common faith. This is what we believe. But I'll tell you what, it really is uncommon truth. It is uncommon truth. How many times has God become a man? Just once. Just once. This is the faith once delivered. The faith that is once delivered. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. Let's look at what the world thinks about our faith. Look at verse 25. Oh, let's look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 1, 23. But we preach, and what does it mean to preach? What does that mean? It means to boldly, boldly proclaim the Word of God. This is what we believe. We boldly proclaim the Word of God. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Do you realize how many people today are talking about the foolishness of what we believe? Someone was just saying, Matt Clayton was saying in Sunday school, that he had heard that the the basis for April Fool's Day were the fools who believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm one of those fools. Amen. Amen. And look at what the Bible says. It's almost like God knew what men were going to think. Look at what it says. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. You know, these these philosophers, there were people, and, and what's wonderful is the Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was dealing with those people in that Greek culture who thought that they were lovers of wisdom. Who knows what that word lover of wisdom is called? Philosophy. Philosophy. There were these philosophers, and they'd gather together, and they would talk and talk and talk and talk. And then they'd talk some more, and then they'd talk about what they had talked about. 
They would talk and talk and talk because they loved wisdom. No, they didn't love wisdom. They loved to hear themselves talk. (laughs) Sounds like Congress, doesn't it? Now look, here's what it says. The wisdom of God is wiser than that of man. Well, why is that? Look at verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. What's the wisdom of the world say? The wisdom of the world says it's impossible. It's impossible for a man to be born of a woman without a man. Now, they're right, unless there's a God. Because with God, all things are possible. You know, now they're, they're trying to come up with, with making life in the test tube or in the laboratory, and they're trying to accomplish this. Well, look, they're going to have to accomplish a lot. Because God made man four different ways. God made man out of the ground. God made a woman out of a man's rib. God made a man out of a woman without a man in Jesus Christ. And God makes people out of a union between a man and a woman. God can do it four different ways. Man can't do it at all. And they say we're foolish. You see, what is the the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. But man by wisdom denies God. And that's why the wisdom of the world is ultimate foolishness because the Bible says very clearly that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. You see, it does seem foolish and that's why it is the mystery of godliness. Look at chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. But we are wise in Christ. We are wise in Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. Let no man deceive you, or let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. A woman can't have a baby without a man. Well, God can do that. The one who stepped out onto the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. The one who created everything out of nothing. For him, he does it without breaking a sweat. I want you to think about something. God has never exerted himself. Is that awesome? God has never exerted Himself. See, we grow in strength through exertion. Some of you wouldn't understand that. But anyone who's trying to get better at anything, we do that by exercising and by exertion and by pushing ourselves farther than we can go. God's never done that because He has no limits. Is anything too hard for God? No. No, of course, that's foolishness to the world. That's foolishness to the world. Go back with me to 1 Timothy 3.16. The mystery of godliness. You know, this whole idea of Jesus Christ coming, it says, and without controversy, 3.16 again, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. Justified in the Spirit. What does that mean, justified in the Spirit? Now, we understand what the word justified means. 
It means declared righteous. It means declared righteous. It means the, it's the legal declaration of God that based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the sinner is declared not guilty. Anybody here not guilty today? That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. The Bible here says that Jesus Christ was declared righteous, justified by the Spirit. What is that, what is that talking about? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 4. You look at verse 3 to see who's being spoken of concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, that's Mary's part, right? Seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Holy Spirit declared Jesus Christ righteous in raising Him from the dead. Why do people die? Because of sin. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The reason people die is because of sin. Jesus Christ died for sin. And by being raised from the dead, by the Holy Spirit which was dwelling in Him, that was the declaration of the Holy Spirit that He had overcome death by His own righteousness. That's fantastic. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 10. Romans 8, 10. And if Christ be in you, how does Christ get in you? How does that happen? You receive Him. You receive the free gift of eternal life that He offers you. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that when that happens, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body. You are baptized into Christ, and Christ comes to dwell in you. Then the book of Romans tells us that if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So when you're saved, the Holy Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in you. And look at what it says in verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. What is being justified? It's being declared righteous. So what it says is the, the, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Do you know what the resurrection does for us? The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Bible says He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we will too. How many of you have a friend or loved one that's gone home to be with the Lord? If they're saved, do you know what's going to happen? They're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. They're going to be raised from... That body is going to be raised from the dead incorruptible. They're going to be given a body just like the body of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That is the mystery of godliness. Jesus Christ came, manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit. Look at what the Bible says. And we'll go back to our text. 1 Timothy 3.16. Justified in the Spirit. I like this part. Are you back there with me? 
First Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, risen from the dead, declaring His righteousness. Then look at what it says, Seen of angels. Seen of angels. What does that have to do with anything? Seen of angels. These are his testim- These are those who testify of Him. They are His ministers. The Bible tells us that the angels were there at creation in Job 38. Says, the Bible says, where were thou? He, God's talking to Job. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth when the sons of God shouted for joy? All those angels of God, they saw Jesus Christ create the world. The Bible says Jesus did that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ spoke it all into existence, and He upholds it with the Word of His power. That's who Jesus Christ is. The angels were there for that. The angels were there for creation. The angels were there to announce Jesus Christ's birth in Luke chapter 2. They announced his, that He was going to be born, and then they announced that He was born. The angels were there in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness. They ministered to Him. The angels saw all of this. The angels were there with Jesus when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying in agony. He said, Father, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from Me. And the angel came and ministered to Him and helped Him to make it through the cross for you and for me. When Jesus Christ was arrested in the garden and Peter went to cut off that guy's head and got his ear, Jesus said, they live by the sword will die by the sword. He said, no, you're not. That I could, If I desired, I could call 12 legions of angels. My father would send them. 12 legions of angels. Think about this. In the Old Testament, one angel killed 185,000 men in one night. 12 legions could kill 13.2 billion people. That's more than all the people that have ever lived. Jesus Christ could have called them to accomplish that and those angels would have done it in a minute. I think about Jesus Christ on that cross and the angels who were His ministers watching the defilement of the Savior as He's being beaten and pierced and spat upon and those angels around the throne of God watching Jesus on the cross and I can see them saying, Let us go! Let us go! But Jesus Christ said, No. He gave Himself for us, seen of angels. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, there were angels there to announce His resurrection. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, at the ascension of Jesus Christ, that these angels came and they said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall come again in like manner as you have seen Him go. Angels announced that, and angels are coming back with Him. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. They're going to be with Him when He comes back to get us. Angels are going to be involved in the judgment of the earth for those seven years while we're in heaven with Jesus. And then the Bible says in First Thessalonians that in Second Thessalonians that when Jesus Christ returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, He's going to come with His mighty angels. Seen of angels. But hold on to that thought. When we get to the end, we're going to see something else that the angels do. Scene of angels. Look at our text again. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels. Look, preached unto the Gentiles. One of the other mysteries is that we're one in the body of Christ. 
There's not Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. We're all one. I want you to think of what happened after the flood. Remember, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Well, the Bible says that it was preached unto the Gentiles. At the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, he says, Preach this among all nations. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian eunuch being saved. He is of the, he's a descendant of Ham. In Acts chapter 9, you have the Apostle Paul being saved. He's a descendant of Shem. And in Acts chapter 10, you have the Roman soldier Cornelius being saved of the tribe of Japheth, of a descendant of Japheth. God said, preached unto the Gentiles, every race, every nation, it doesn't matter. There are racists in the world, but they cannot be true to the Word of God by being that. We are one in Jesus Christ, preached unto the Gentiles. This is so important. Why? The, the Apostle Paul was asked, why did God favor the Jews? Because unto them were given the oracles of God. What did Paul say in Acts 1.16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the, it is, uh, the, uh, the power of God to the, Jew also, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Here the Bible says very clearly, preached unto, do we have any Gentiles here today? The gospel has been preached unto you. Do you know that this has been the message of Christians all the way back? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus said, I pray not for these alone, He is praying for His disciples, but, to all, but I pray not for them alone, but for all of those who shall believe on Me through their word. All of us have believed on Jesus through what the disciples wrote. All of us have heard the gospel preached, and it goes all the way back to the early church. I want you to think about something. I found this earlier this week. I was reading something on the early church. And remember the seven churches of Asia Minor? Jesus Christ wrote in Revelation 2 and 3 to the church at Ephesus and the church at Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, then the church of the Laodiceans. Remember that? Well, there was a man. His name was Melito of Sardis. He died in about 190, 190 A.D. That's a long time ago, right? That's a long time ago. And so he was a pastor in the city of Sardis, and we have some of his sermons. Well, he wrote a sermon on the death of Jesus Christ and how the Jews missed it and the Gentiles need to receive it. Listen to what he said. You did not see God. You did not perceive the Lord, Israel. You did not recognize the firstborn of God, begotten before the morning star, who adorned the light who lit up the day, who divided the darkness, who fixed the first boundary, who hung the earth, who tamed the abyss, who furnished the world, who arranged the stars in the heavens, who lit up the great lights, who made the angels in heaven, who there established thrones, who formed humanity on the earth. That was written before 190. Now listen to what he says about the crucifixion. The mystery of godliness. He who hung the earth is hanging. Jesus Christ is on the cross. He who fixed the heavens in place has been fixed in place. He who laid the foundations of the universe has been laid on a tree. The master has been profaned. God has been murdered. But you know what? Man could not have done that to Jesus except, according to the book of Acts, by the determinate counsel 
and foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ said, No man taketh my life, but I lay it down. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. Isn't that wonderful? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's what is preached among the Gentiles. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, came. The divinity took on the robe of humanity so that depravity might be rendered savable. That King of heaven, the God of the earth, became a man so that he could be spittable and whippable and beatable and killable. But because He had the Spirit of God in Him, because He was very God of very gods, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was declared righteous by the Holy Spirit and raised from the dead. That is our Savior. That is what is preached to the Gentiles. But here's the good news. Ready for this? This is awesome. Look at the next part of our verse. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Look at this. Believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, manifest in the flesh, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, this message that we preach, there's nothing that you have to do. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Son of God, and thou shalt be saved. See, your salvation isn't based on your baptism. Your salvation isn't based on your paying your taxes or being a good mom or dad. Your salvation is not based on your church membership. Your salvation is not based on you. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you will believe on Him, confession and repentance... That's the message that Jesus Christ said should be preached to all nations. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Believed on in the world. And then look at this. I love the last part. Look at what it says. This is so awesome. The verse again, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. What is that talking about? Do you remember when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven? Go with me. Let's finish up here at Psalm 24. Look at this. Psalm 24. Scene of angels. Look at this. Verse 1, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. You understand God can do anything He wants to with this because it's His. Is that right? Now, what did He choose to do? He chose to be manifest in the flesh. That's what He chose to do. Manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world.
but received up into glory. Let's see if this text says anything about it. Look at verse 7. Psalm 24, 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of what? Glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Can you imagine Jesus Christ? Those angels have been watching Him. Remember, the angels saw Him create the world. The angels announced His birth. The angels were there at His temptation. The angels ministered to Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus announced that they, He could have called them when He was arrested. The angels, the angels announced His resurrection. An angel is going to shout when we are taken out. But the angels are going to come with Him and He is going to fight the battle and He is going to reign. And what happens? He's coming back to heaven. He's entering into those gates. The Lord strong and mighty. Who is this King of glory? Can you imagine the angels? And the Bible says, and all the angels worship Him in Hebrews chapter 1. The, all the angels worship Him. Who is this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty God manifest in the flesh. Do you know what that is? That's the mystery of godliness. Who can comprehend that? Who can comprehend that? What is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? That is the amazing grace and mercy of God. And the culminating event in all of that was his resurrection from the dead. Have you trusted in that? Have you believed in that? You see, right now we're in the world. It can be believed on in the world, but the Bible says that one day, that this world, it's going to melt with a fervent heat. Revelation chapter 20, John, he sees the Lamb on the throne, and the Bible says the sun and moon flee from His face, and there's found no place for them. It's over. It's over. The Bible says, seeing then, seeing then, that all this will be dissolved, what manner of men ought we to be? We ought to believe in Jesus Christ while there's time. Because Jesus Christ died, the Bible says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Look, believed on in the world, you'd better believe on Him and bow now or you will bow later, and it'll be too late. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.